just going to jump straight in today. We are in Hebrews. If you're new with us, if you want to go ahead and grab your, your Bibles and stand with me for the reading. If you're new with us, we preach through books of the Bible, and we have been in Hebrews for some time now, a good amount of time, a proper amount of time maybe, um, and we are coming to the end. And so we are going to actually take uh, the text today. I'm going to read through the text, but we're actually going to split it up over a, a couple of weeks because there's just so much here as we, as we dive into leadership and just how we, how we think about leadership and the role of leadership. Um, but let's read the text together, and then we'll, we'll jump into the content. Hebrews 13, and we're going to start with verse 7 and go through 19. And it'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have a copy. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by, by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. Desiring to act honorably in all things, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, so... Nothing gets the morning started like talking about submission. I'm sure everyone's excited. I know I am. That's... We're going to focus on leadership this morning, specifically spiritual leadership, and, and we're not going to hit every verse. We're going to kind of camp out in the first and the, the last part of this uh, text this morning, and then we're going to look at this over the course of a few weeks, and there's a lot of different directions that you can go on leadership, and, and, and hopefully we're going to be able to hit uh, those over the few, next few weeks. Uh, but today we're going to focus on, on the relationship of leadership, uh, and the relationship specifically to two things, the relationship to what Jesus has done, what he is doing, and then what he tells us he is going to do, the relationship to that, and then the relationship to how that works within the body. What is the relationship of those who are leading and, and those who are led? And, and I just want to acknowledge, as, as I step into this topic, I, I realize just through conversations that we've had with, with many of you that uh, many come from a place where, where there's hurt around this topic. There's hurt around the topic of, of leadership. You have uh, been under leadership that, that hurt you, uh, potentially abused you. Um, and we certainly mourn that. We, we mourn that. And, and we also just recognize that it takes courage, spiritual courage, to step into and seek God's heart on a topic that you've been hurt by um, in the past. So we just want to honor you 
this morning, and we pray that even today, as, as we're looking at this subject, that, that even today there would be some healing in that, if, if that's you, um, and certainly that, that this community of faith, uh, our leaders and our people, that this would be a healing um, place for you as we, as we think about this topic. So how we're going to spend our time this morning, I'm going to, to tee up a, a lens, if you will, by which we can look at, at leadership through some things to kind of filter what we're hearing, and then we're going to look at the text for a little bit, and I've... I've, I've or set aside a large amount of time at the end to actually uh, seek the Lord in prayer around this topic. We could talk to we're blue in the face around what leadership is and how to do it and what our response to that should be. But if there is not a movement of the Holy Spirit in those things, in those leaders and in, in, our, in us as a people, it, none of it matters. And so we are going to seek the Lord uh, at the end of this, which means I had to cut all my witty jokes and illustrations to really fit into the time, and I know you're disappointed by that, but, but I think the prayer will probably be more beneficial to us. So from a lens standpoint, so one of the things that we have to understand if, if we're going to talk about what does leadership look like in the kingdom of God is that we have to grasp just how different the kingdom of God really is. And I want to use a, a survey of sorts of Romans 16... And this will be a fun exercise. If you have your Bible, to turn with me. This, is, this will be kind of fun. I'm not going to have it behind me because I'm actually going to run through this really quickly. Uh, Romans 16, not one that most people have memorized because it's the greetings section. If, if you look here, it says, okay, so we're gonna, what are we going to get from the greetings section? And I chose this, this section, and I, spend the, I think it's worth spending time here. Because, uh, one, because Acts 2 gets a lot of play, gets a lot of airtime in terms of looking at the beauty of the church and the community. Uh, and I actually think that Romans 16, even though it's the greeting section, is equally as beautiful. So I want us to see that and, and see just how different the kingdom of God is uh, from the world. And then also just, just a reinforcement that every word in our Bible is profitable for teaching, even things like the greeting section. So just kind of a good reminder for us. So let's look at, at Romans 16. So Romans, many of you know, is, is a letter that, that Paul wrote. He wrote this letter from Corinth which was uh, another couple of books in our Bibles, the Corinthians. Corinth was a city in Greece. And so Paul is in Greece writing to the church of Rome. And let's hear what he says at the end. And this is going to give us a picture as to how different the kingdom of God really is. So I'm going I'm to survey this really quickly. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. And then kind of goes through a list of, of other folks and different names. And then we get down to, to verse 21, and it says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipaster, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, who dictated this letter for Paul, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to us, host to me, and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Cordus, meet you. So as we dive into this, this is a stunning picture of just how different the kingdom of God was to their culture at that time. They, it was breaking every convention. And let's just go through these names really quickly. If you notice, there's an equal number of women than there are men in this text, which would have been totally countercultural at the time. It's cross-cultural. So we see 
uh, Tryphosa, that's a Greek name. Mary is a Jewish name. Julia is a Roman name. Uh, these two churches, we're kind of seeing a picture of the one in Corinth and in Rome, are multicultural. There are people from every walk, every culture that are making up uh, the church here. They are cross-status. So there's different levels from the community that are making up the church that, that don't have a relevance in the kingdom of God. So we see names like Aquila. Aquila is a Roman word that means eagle. He would have been a high-status kind of person. And then you see a name like Urbanus. Kind of might extract that, that maybe we get our word urban from there, that Urbanus means city dweller. So this was a very common name. It is almost certain that Urbanus was not going to be running for senate. So you have these, these different levels and these different statuses that are all meeting and gathering, young and old. And then we get to my favorite. Tertius is, is my favorite here. And he even speaks in the letter, which in and of itself it would have been unheard of for a man with status like Paul to allow someone to, his dictator, to the person who's dictating for him to speak into the letter uh, is a really powerful thing. And his name tells us so much about the kingdom of God because his name, Tertius, is where we get the word tertiary. You know, the, the word tertiary, it means third, like maybe you've seen that in math. And so this guy's name is third. And it wasn't a, a precursor to the, like, uh, the I am second campaign, like I am third, you know, it just didn't work out for him. No, his name was third because no one valued him. In this culture and in this society, if you weren't the firstborn son, and this was true of noble families, it was also true uh, certainly of common families or slave families, it just wasn't necessary to give you a name because you, you weren't valuable to the community. So they named him third, probably because he was third born or he was born in the third month of the year, and then later uh, his brother Quartus, which is fourth. So we have third and fourth that are sitting at the table, crazy, with a guy named Gaius. Now we know who Gaius was. Gaius was uh, what is called a paterfamilias. He is, uh, we don't have an equivalent for this in this society, but it's, it would be unheard of for a guy like Gaius to be sitting at a table with people named third and fourth. Uh, but we see that here. It's this beautiful picture of every social structure and every way of interacting with each other being turned completely upside down. The kingdom of God is wholly different. And we see that in this text, value became recognized in the imago day of each person. Where you were coming from did not matter in the kingdom of God, does not matter in the kingdom of God. And so this was insane to their culture. Gaius' friends would not have understood this. They would not have understood him sitting at a table with these people. It's wholly other. But we also see and know that within the Corinthian church and within the Roman church, um, that leadership remains. So you have all these structures that were torn down and and even and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But leadership remained an important element for how God developed those cultures. But as we think about this, we really can't grasp how wholly other the kingdom of God is from the kingdom of the work. If we can't grasp that, that we can't sync those two things up, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. We can't, can't overlay those two things. If we can't get that, then the rest of this is going to be difficult for us to get and difficult for us to, to wrap our, our heads around. Second, leadership is rooted in deep sacrificial relationship. Spiritual leadership is rooted in deep sacrificial relationship. And we see this in the Trinity, before time even began, before there was the concept of leadership, we see this beautifully represented in the Trinity, the, this unified, deeply relational, distinct roles that perfectly reflected God's love. 
distinct roles, unified, perfectly reflecting God's love. And so we extrapolate from that, that that leadership then is not not a power to be wielded or an authority to be hovered over. It's not not meant to have a, a leaders extracted in some tower somewhere, but that it's it's this deeply um, relational, proximal relationship in which God works out his plan, in which God, the love of God is expressed. We know that leadership is a role. So important for us to get this. Hear me on this. Leadership is a role. It is not an indication of value in the kingdom of God, and it is not an identity. Leadership is a role. And so whether you lead one person or a thousand people or, or God's called you not to lead, your value is in the cross of Jesus. Your value is in what Jesus did for you. Your value has nothing to do with what role you may play. CEO, stay-at-home mom, teacher, pastor, none of those things add an ounce to your value as a son or a daughter. You are a son. If you follow Jesus, your identity is a son or a daughter, period. Nothing else to add to that. And then leadership, so we're going to talk a little bit about traits here, here in a second, and we're going to kind of compare and contrast like what the kingdom of God, what you might expect to see in a Christian leader. And, and on traits, anytime we look at traits, I'm going to talk about it in the context of leadership, but just know that those are, those are things that we should all be aspiring to and, and things that we should hope to see in and hold each other accountable to seeing in one another, okay? All right, so I want to look then at the relationship and just the content time this morning through that lens. I want to look at the, rela- the, the relationship of leadership in the context of the past, the present, and the future, given the anchor, the founder of our faith, the perfecter of our faith is the same yesterday, today, and forever that we saw in the text. And so I want to, I want to read, reread Hebrews 7 through 9 here just to kind of uh, tee us up for our First point. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by strange and diverse teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. And so the first thing I want to look at this morning is that uh, as, we, as it relates to the past, as leadership relates to the past, that God has given us this beautiful heritage in past leaders' examples to see his faithfulness to and his way of forming his people. We get to, to look back and we get to look at how they, how they live. We get to consider the outcome of their way of life. And, and, and it's important to see that the text is not saying to imitate the outcomes, or, or to imitate the fruit of what they were doing, it's really saying and, and calling us to look at the engine of what made those things happen, to imitate their faith, to imitate their way of life, so that God may work in us as he did in them. We get to, in seeing God's faithfulness to shape them, we're encouraged in our own faith that, that given that Jesus is the same today as he was for them, that he moved in their lives um, we can be confident that he is going to move in our lives in the same way. They trusted him. We can look back and say they trusted him, and therefore I can trust him because of his faithfulness uh, to them. I, I think about my, my grandfather, one illustration. I'll just sneak one in here. Um, I think about my grandfather uh, often, and he's, he's passed on, but I think about his way of life and how he, how he led his life, and I think about his faith. 
and that, that's an encouragement to me. And then there's people in this room that have been uh, an encouragement to me. And so we get to think back about uh, leaders and look at what they're doing and, and imitate them, yes, but only in as much as they're imitating the way of Jesus, imitating uh, Christ himself. And so because he's the same today as he was yesterday, his way for us is the same as it was for him. There is no new way to follow Jesus. There is no new way. It, there's just this way, right? doesn't change. Uh, and so because it doesn't change, there's no new way to follow Jesus. In the present, we know and can be confident that Jesus' way and expectations for how to live and how to lead or how to follow are the same for us today than they were uh, for them that came before us. And so because this kingdom is wholly different from the world, its leaders are to be and are to lead in a holy different way. And so I want to look at, at a chart, and I, I think we, we should have that chart behind me. And I want to just compare and contrast, and, and I was thinking about, you know, which traits, you could probably list a hundred traits or so that, that says, like, hey, this is the, the way the world thinks about leadership, and then this is what the Bible says about leadership. So I tried to pick six. So I, I spend most of my time in the marketplace. Uh, I, I kind of work for a, a software company, and, and so I try to pick six that I feel like are, are what I'm feeling pressured to as a leader, like what I'm experiencing and what people keep telling me I should be, uh, as well as some of the things that we're seeing in culture and, and what culture says is a good leader as we're inundated with you know, the news feeds and things like that. And so we're going to look at a trait of what the world says a leader should be and a trait of what the Bible says and what Jesus says about what being uh, a good leader is. And I think this, this is extremely important for us to think about. What good looks like, how we define what good looks like is ultimately how we filter everything else. And certainly for those who work in the marketplace, how your leaders define what success looks like at your companies or at your schools or whatever uh, absolutely is, in, is what gets done, right? Because that's how we get measured and filtered and things like that. And so how we set up what good looks like is, is really important because ultimately it's the filter that we use. So the first one I want to look at is that the world, it seems at least lately, uh, is looking for, for leaders who can be celebrated. It's looking for leaders who can be celebrated. Being celebrated brings value to the enterprise. We, we can kind of see this in Elon Musk a little bit, not picking on him, but, but he is celebrated and that brings value. There's certainly... Um, maybe a few political leaders out there that, that where this idea of celebrating brings value to a cause, maybe, or, or a mission. And, and so the world is saying, that this, if you're going to be a leader, you need to be able to be and strive for being celebrated if, if you're going to lead. And the kingdom of God says, you need to be prepared to bear reproach. Completely opposite. You need to be prepared to bear rejection, to not be celebrated. We see that in the text Today, Second, if you want to lead, you need to be able to and project security. You need to be able to project security. The kingdom of God invites us into suffering and sacrifice, which may be looked at as maybe the opposite of what um, earthly security might look like. You need to be able to extend control if you want to lead well. You need to use your authority to extend control over your team or the market or whatever uh, mission or cause that you're working on. Uh, control is what you should be after. Extension of that into the future. And, and the kingdom of God invites us into uh, trusting God with daily bread. 
that control is not our responsibility. It's out of our hands that we should come to God every day, get our daily bread, and be thankful for that. Leaders in the world, power is a given. I'm, I'm guessing if someone's giving this talk 100 years from now, this is still going to be on the list. It has been for thousands of years. Power is what you need as a leader. And it's power, that's the currency that you need to be able to further your cause. Power. And so you as the leader need to be powerful. You need to grow in your power. You need to extend that power. And that is how we're going to get things done, is through the wielding of power. And Christ invites you to die to yourself, to give up your power, to come and be emptied of yourself. And then he is going to work through you to accomplish what he's trying to do. Not your power, his power. Completely different than, than how the world sets as, as what, is, what is good. Advantage. This, this is something that's kind of been something I've spent, I, f- I feel like just seems to follow me around a, a little bit. Uh, leading in this world, uh, people want you to create and extend advantage. I, when I was kind of being trained up, you know, in, in learning how to do building and, and sales and stuff like that, I'll never forget this, that the person who at the time I really admired, they, they came to teach me how to be a leader, you know, like how to, here's how you build and do things. And their thesis was that at all costs, you need to extend your advantage. And the way that you extend your advantage is by using one of two things. You use fear or greed. Some of you are nodding your heads because you've like experienced this training, uh, Fear or greed. You need to extend your advantage over the people that you are over or selling to or servicing as part of the the, the mission or whatever uh, to extend your advantage. And the kingdom of God says, uh, I'm inviting you to come desperate, to come and be desperate for what I'm trying to do. Not to extend your advantage, but to be desperate. And then finally, heroism, heroism. The, the world is looking for a hero. It's like that 1980s song, they need a, You Need a Hero. Uh, the world is looking for a hero. It's looking for a hero in leaders. It wants its leaders to be someone who can be put up on a pedestal and, and someone to be followed that we can point to that leader and we can say, man, look at what that person did. Look at what they accomplished. Hero is what they're looking for. And the kingdom of God says, um, I want you to lead by faith. I don't want you to be. You're not the hero. I'm the hero. You come and empty yourself and trust me that my plan and that my way of doing things is is going to be better. I want you to come in faith, not as the hero of the story. And so these things are strikingly different. The way to lead in the world and the way to lead in the kingdom of God are are strikingly different. And so we we have to look at this and we have to say, is this what we're really after? For those of you who are leading or who, to, who aspire to lead, are, are, are we aspiring to lead from the right, the right, and, or are we aspiring to lead to the left? For, for all of us, are, are we looking for leaders that look more like the left or the right? If we think that we can follow Jesus and use him individually to obtain a, a life without suffering, without the things on on the right side of the page, or, or that we can co-opt the left side, that we can co-opt some of these traits in, in the world column to be able to further the kingdom from good, then we just have the wrong guy. That's just not how Jesus works. It's just not. And so because of that, Jesus being the same, not changing, we know he's going to be the same tomorrow as he is 
today as he has been in the past. We know he's going to continue to use the right side of this page. He's going to continue to look for and empower desperate people of faith to build his church. And so we can be confident that in the future, the obedience of the leader and the led will be an outcome of a people who desperately cling to the word of God that doesn't change, and in faith pray that he would move in each other's lives, that he would move in each other's lives. So let's look at 17 through 19. Again, we're kind of skipping around a little bit here. We're going to cover this over, over two weeks. So 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. Pray for us, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. And so we can't, as we're thinking about past, present, and future, we we can't imitate the faith of the past. We can't submit, we can't lead, follow in the future the way that God and Jesus are calling us to without being covered in prayer from each other. And there's several angles that we could we could break off onto um, here. There's certainly, we could talk about um, what is, and in this text we could look at uh, what is a leader, what qualifies someone as a leader, what's the responsibility of a leader. When this says watches after us, what are, the, what are they watching after? What's our role? So there's a lot of questions that we could look at that are a little bit more action or, or structure oriented, and we're going to look at some of those things um, next week, but I want to focus the rest of our time today in in the context of of leading or obedience and submission uh, being an outcome of something else, being an outcome. The role of the leader, a leader, leadership, is not primarily to have well-informed opinions or to be able to come in and solve some sort of cultural uh, problem, to be able to win a debate maybe at a, at a moral level, to speak into that. And there's time and place for that, and certainly leaders play, play roles in those things. But that is not the heart of leadership. The, the heart is, is, is a leader being rooted in the Word of God, to be led in full submission to Christ, being willing to, willing to follow wherever He leads, and then to lead and encourage others into that same thing. That is the heart. And maybe the former can be wielded with gifts or talent. You know, maybe you know, a leader could use his or her talent to uh, solve a problem or, or, or win a moral argument. Maybe you could use talent for that. But I can tell you uh, from experience with 100% clarity that being rooted and being full submitted to Christ and being willing to follow wherever he leads cannot be done without being desperately dependent on the Spirit to move. It cannot be done without being desperately dependent on the Spirit to move. The elders, church leadership, nothing to offer. Nothing to offer in and of ourselves. It is Christ who leads, Christ who saves, Christ who heals, Christ who encourages, Christ who brings peace. We have nothing lasting to offer, nothing good apart from what the Spirit does in us and through us. Um, and so, Sam, you can, you can kind of head up as you're ready there. Uh, this, this is where the relationship becomes so important. The relationship of the body of Jesus becomes 
so important. And, and I've said all of this really just to say this, that a leader's ability to lead and our ability to respond to leadership, regardless of the role that we're in, which is one of the relationships in which God forms us and directs the movement of the Spirit in our lives is directly influenced by how we pray for each other. What we should expect to see in the future, what we should expect to see in each other from a leader, from a person, what we should expect to see in the future is directly related to how we pray for each other in the present. Directly related to that. So how... How you are led is directly influenced by your intercession for your leaders. Prayer is the, obe- is the oil of obedience, I heard someone say once. Prayer is the oil of obedience, whether we're obedient in leadership or obedient in following. How you are led is directly influenced by your intercession for your leaders. How you lead, for those that are leaders in the room, how you lead is directly influenced by your intercession for your people. Directly, directly related to that. Because God responds to the prayers of his people. That's what he does. He's always done that. He does that now, and he will continue to do that. He looks for desperate people of faith who understand their dependence on him, who pray in unity for each other. He has, he does, and he will continue to do that. And so before we step into uh, looking a little bit more technically at what a leader does and, and, and maybe how some of those things work and responsibilities... Um, we wanted to take some time and, and spend the rest of our time, which we've got a good, good amount, uh, to seek the Lord around this topic. And I know, Sam, you've got some thoughts on, on yeah. how we could do that. Absolutely. Um, are you expectant? When you come to prayer, I'm going to steal your stand mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I love how you, you were saying it's Christ. It's Christ who saves. It's Christ who who motivates, it's Christ, it's always Christ, it's always Christ, we can get confused and miss it. And I want to actually want to read the words of Jesus because it's Jesus who invites us to pray this morning. Um, we hear the word of God, we want to respond, but it's Jesus beckoning us, uh, inviting us in. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus in, in this word is speaking to the church in Laodicea. And I would encourage you to read it. Um, It's chapter 3. This is that lukewarm moment. I'll spit you out of my mouth. It's a a rebuke, but it's it's done in love. And in verse 19, he says this in the spirit of Hebrews. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And then this. Behold, I stand at the door... And knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus invites us to pray. Jesus knocks. In Or Housby's book on prayer, he says this. Notice how graciously prayer has been designed. To pray is nothing more involved than to let Jesus into our needs. To pray is to give Jesus permission to employ his powers in the alleviation of our distress. To pray is to let Jesus glorify his name in the midst of our needs. So to pray is nothing more involved than to open the door, 
giving Jesus access to our needs and permitting him to exercise his own power in dealing with him. And that's what I think we've been talking about this morning is, and I love it when you read scripture, our framework for living, our framework for leadership, our framework for being led uh, is transformed, is changed. And that's what he wants to do. So I'm expectant this morning as we pray that he's going to reorient us. So can we just uh, prep for a moment? Maybe close your eyes. Let's just prep for a moment here. We are inviting Jesus to speak through his spirit to renew our minds, to transform us, to make us new. So these prompts that we're going to put before you, they are, they are questions that, that we are laying before the Lord and we're asking him to speak to us on. He wants to speak to you. And I want you to notice this about his voice. His voice does not accuse, but it convicts. It does not condemn, but it invites you to a better way. So this first prompt is this. What worldly traits am I seeking in myself or wielding in my relationships? What worldly traits? So we're, we're going to submit this question to the Spirit of God, and He's going to speak directly to us. He's going to clarify. He's going to sift. He's going to reorient. So let's bring that to the Lord. What worldly traits am I seeking in myself or wielding in my relationships? And I want you to consider that chart that Jake put up. And you could put that chart up, Jim. What worldly traits do I gravitate towards? Spirit of God, would you speak to us? Another question to bring before him is maybe why those traits? What do I hope those things, those traits in the world alleviate in my life? What what fears do I think those solve for, those traits solve for? Holy Spirit, would you show us why we are desperate to have the advantage, the power, the progress, the control, the leverage...
Next, can we consider this? What worldly traits or traits in general have I been seeking in people to follow, in people that I follow? What worldly traits have I valued in leadership? Holy Spirit, would you show us why those traits we gravitate towards? Why those particular traits? Would you show us individually, collectively? What do we hope when we see these traits in a leader? What do we hope those alleviate in our life? Are we trying to replace Jesus and his power with worldly power? with progress. What's bringing us comfort? And next, I want to invite us to to repent. Where do we need to repent of our view of leadership and submission? Philippians gives us a beautiful picture of Christ's humility. His submission, his obedience to the Father. Ephesians 5 invites us to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Have you misread submission as only an expression of weakness and leadership as only an expression of strength? Do you avoid submission? Holy Spirit, would you show us where we avoid godly submission? Where we have not practiced the discipline of submission.
I want to invite you to stand and uh, open your eyes <laughs> and look around this room. Stand, open your eyes and look around this room. Look at the people in this room. We're going to pray for one another. And we're going to pray that this is the type of church that we are. That we're one that understands submission to Jesus. And we're a community that's marked with grace, humility, wisdom that we don't, like Jake says, overlay the values of the world onto Christianity. We don't co-op worldly vision for leadership and implanted and are imprinted over the church. But we want to model and reflect the posture of Christ who had an instinct of a servant and was a sacrifice leader. May we be living sacrifices. So let's pray now for one another. Consider one another around you. Those in your life, in your praxis group, in your formation group, in your community. Those who join you around your table. Uh, let's pray for one another. Father, we, we, we just lift up each other and pray that we would be a community marked by um, that right side of the chart. Um, that we would be ready to sacrifice. That we would be ready to count others as more significant than ourselves. Lord, that you would create uh, a, a, the posture of humility in our interactions with one another. That you would create uh, love and affection for one another. God, that you would do this. We cannot do this on our own. We're all coming, like like the, the section in Romans, the greetings, we're all coming from different places and different expectations and different tables and different experiences. God, and we need you to unite us around that. We need you to unite us around your table. So would you do that in us, Lord? Would you create, you're building your church. Would you build this community in a way that is centered on Jesus and his example in our life, his demonstration of humility. Now, can we pray for church leadership? Guys, we covet your prayers. We desperately need your prayers. Can you take a moment and pray for us? Pray for the elders, pray for the staff, the littles, bigs, student directors, the leaders who serve alongside them, praxis leaders, formation leaders. Pray for wisdom, protection, humility. Father, we're so grateful for what you're doing in us. And um, I can't help but think 
you giving us your word like this this morning, you allowing us and drawing us towards prayer. Um, it, ex- it excites my expectation of what's, what you're leading us towards, what you're preparing us for. So God, would you just seal what, what you're doing in our hearts this morning? Would you, could this be a launching point for a new way to look at even church and, and, and leadership and, and one another? That we would take great joy in following Jesus in submission to him, to your kingdom, your values. And then also, may we mirror that towards one another in love and in truth. Serving one another in this, God. Thank you for your spirit. Spirit, go with us this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.